Our Father in heaven, thank you for the great privilege it is again to stand and open your word. And Father, I know that we do it so often it can become rote or almost uh, so familiar we forget its significance. But I, I pray, Lord, that even now you would remind us what a privilege it is to open up a book and know that it's been preserved. Truths that you've given for millennia have been recorded for us. And Father, I pray that you would use the the book of Jude tonight to encourage your church. I pray the saved would be revived and that the lost would see Christ and that they would see their condition and they would be saved. And Father, whatever the need is that is met, we will be quick to give you the glory. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. If you would stand with me and we will read just a few verses in the beginning of Jude. We're going to quickly go through the book, and then we will land on the last uh, six verses or so of the book of Jude. The Bible says in verse 1, Jude, the servant of Jesus Christ and brother of James, to them that are sanctified by God the Father and preserved in Jesus Christ and called, mercy unto you and peace and love be multiplied. Beloved, when I gave all diligence to write unto you of the common salvation, it was needful for me to write unto you and exhort you that ye should earnestly contend for the faith which was once delivered unto the saints. For there are certain men crept in unawares who were before of old ordained to this condemnation, ungodly men, turning the grace of our God into lasciviousness and denying the only Lord God and our Lord Jesus Christ. If you would, go with me to verse 20. But ye, beloved, building up yourselves on your most holy faith, praying in the Holy Ghost, keep yourselves in the love of God, looking for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ unto eternal life. And of some, have compassion, making a difference. And others, save with fear, pulling them out of the fire, hating even the garment spotted by the flesh. Now, unto Him that is able to keep you from falling and to present you faultless before the presence of His glory with exceeding joy, to the only wise God, our Savior, be glory and majesty, dominion and power, both now and ever. Amen. Thank you. You may be seated. As you may have sensed in the beginning few verses of this epistle, Jude is writing these saints with a burden on his heart placed there by the Holy Spirit. He introduces himself not as the half-brother of Jesus, although he could have said that, not as the son of Mary and Joseph, but rather as the servant of Jesus Christ. There's a humility again we see in these men that God used to pen the Scriptures He's the brother of James, and he's the half-brother of our Lord, the physical brother. But he's writing to them that are sanctified by God the Father and preserved in Jesus Christ and called. We ought to thank the Lord tonight that our preservation is not in ourselves, that it is in Jesus Christ. We are kept in His hand. He is holding us in the palm of His hand. It is not our grip that keeps our salvation. If I could lose my salvation, I would have already. But I wasn't saved by myself. I was saved by Jesus Christ. And we are not only preserved, but we are sanctified by God the Father. This is an important word for believers, sanctified, because it doesn't mean simply separated. Anybody can be separated. The Amish are separated. Muslims are separated. Hindus are separated. Religions are separated. But sanctified is different. Sanctified is not just separated from something. It's separated unto something. The child of God is not only set apart from the world, but set apart unto God. That matters. That means there's a purpose. The saints at Thessalonica believe this because Paul commended them in 1 Thessalonians chapter 1, verse 9, how that they turned to God from idols to serve the living and true God. They knew where they were going and they knew why they were going there. 
They knew why they were turning to God. It would be to serve Him. It's a precious thing to be sanctified. It's a precious thing to be preserved. Verse 2, mercy unto you and peace and love be multiplied. And boy, do we need that. Amen. Verse 3, he calls them beloved. The good news is, if you're saved, you're accepted in the beloved. You're accepted in Christ. But here's a reminder that what Christ has, we receive. He is beloved by the Father, and we are beloved by the Father. His righteousness, our righteousness, we can stand before the Father as beloved. Be encouraged. As Peter would tell the saints scattered throughout the region, he said, to them you're strangers and you're pilgrims, but to God you are His elect according to the Father. You are His choice servants down on earth. When God looks down on earth, He has His people. That's you if you're saved. And so the world may not understand that. The world may think you're strange. The world may think that you're different. But to God, you're His. You are loved. You are beloved. Not only by the Lord, but by hopefully each other. Amen? Jesus said it's our love for each other that would prove that we are His disciples. And so Jude is just living this out. He calls them as he sees them, and he calls them as he feels about them. They are beloved. But then he gets very serious very quickly. This is a very short book, but it is a very powerful book. He says right away, Beloved, when I gave all diligence to write unto you, it it was needful for me to write unto you. I I took great pain to make sure that I got this epistle to you. Why? Because it has to do with the common salvation. And if you've never done a study on the word common, I'd encourage you to. Because it is not needful for me to write unto you of the salvation for those who... No, it's a common salvation. It's a whosoever will may come salvation. This is the salvation that... It wasn't special for the Jews and special for the Greeks and then they have a different one over here. No, the, the gospel is not made to order. The gospel is what God designed it to be for every tribe, every nation, every tongue. That's, that's the salvation we're talking about. And he said something. He said, it's needful for me to write to you about this common salvation. Why? Because there are certain men, verse 4, crept in unawares, who were before have ordained to this condemnation, ungodly men, turning the grace of our God into lasciviousness. This is a word that means fleshly, sensual. He's going to use it again at the end of the book. But here's what basically it's saying. He's turning the gospel of God. He's turning a salvation into a feeling gospel, into a felt gospel. And if you think that it is not, if you think it's different today, it's not. Matter of fact, it's not even hidden anymore. It's blatant. They are now preaching publicly about felt needs. What do, you, what do you want us to do a series on? This happened in Ohio. Three by five cards got sent out. We're starting a church. What would you like us to, to preach and teach on? What would you like to hear and all that kind of stuff? Taking surveys, that's not the, the gospel of the Bible. But that's what's happening is that uh, there is an attempt to gain crowds and an attempt to gain approval. We try to please what people think they want. What they feel. But it's not about feeling and it's not about emotion. It's about truth. And Jude is very serious. He says, It was needful for me to write unto you and exhort you that you should earnestly contend for the faith. Now this is not a generic word for all the beliefs of a believer. The context is the common salvation and that people have changed the gospel of God into lasciviousness. We're talking about the gospel. And and Jude is saying, I need to write you and exhort you and encourage you and remind you that there is something that you have to fight for and contend for and struggle for, and it is the gospel. It is the singular faith, which is once delivered unto the saints. So in verse 5, he says, I will therefore put you in remembrance. This is reminiscent of 2 Peter chapter 3. It's just a few pages back if you turn back there quickly. 2 Peter chapter 3. 
This is a really parallel epistle. Peter broadens out almost identical topics that Jude does in his epistle. But verse 1, This second epistle, beloved, I now write unto you in both which I stir up your pure minds by way of what? Remembrance. Beloved, I'm very clear. I am not telling you anything tonight that you do not know. Jude was not writing to tell the saints things that they needed to learn. He was writing them to tell them you can't forget. You have to hold on. You have to remember. And Peter was saying the same thing. I'm stirring up your pure mind by way of remembrance. There's things that you have to recall. Verse 2, that ye may be mindful of the words which were spoken before by the holy prophets. There are going to be things that influence your thinking. And you need to influence your thinking with the Scripture, with truth, with what these men wrote, used by God. Holy men of God, as we know, uh, uh, were moved by the Holy Ghost. He says, "...the commandment of us, the apostles of the Lord and Savior, knowing this first, that there shall come in the last days scoffers, walking after their own lusts." And he continues on, just like Jude will do uh, in his epistle, which we'll see in just a few minutes. But look at, if you would, at verse 17. "...ye therefore, beloved, seeing you know these things before, beware, lest ye also, being led away with the error of the wicked, fall from your own steadfastness." That's not salvation. It's talking about our, our, the way we live our Christian life. Look at verse 18. But grow in grace and in what? The knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. To Him be glory both now and forever. Amen. Holy Spirit moving both Jude and Peter to end their epistles almost the same way. They're warning us. They're telling us how serious it is out there. That there are copycat Religions, so-called. There are gospels that are not true gospels. There are, there are men preaching who are not really uh, qualified or called to be preaching. There are men who are in authority that shouldn't be in authority. There are princes walking and there are servants on horseback, as Solomon would say. And here's how he described it. There's an evil in the land. Well, there was an evil in the land when Solomon was around. There was an evil in the land when Jude wrote his epistle. So he is, you can sense the urgency that he has. This is the landscape in which you will live your Christian life. But in 2020, Long Island Baptist, nothing has changed. 32 years, praise God for that. But it hasn't gotten any easier. In many ways, it may seem like it has gotten more difficult. Maybe not more difficult, but at least the lines are more clear of what is true and what is not, at least for those that know the truth. The enemy is not hiding anymore. It's blatant what our world is accepting as normal. And so he goes on, and I'm going to just do this real quickly because I don't want to uh, take too much time away from the main point of the message. But in verse 5, he says, He will put us in remembrance, though you once knew this, how that the Lord, having saved the people out of the land of Egypt, afterward destroyed them that believe not. Well, what in the world? He talks about the angels. The angels! which kept not their first estate, left their own habitation, He hath reserved them in everlasting chains under darkness under the judgment of the great day. He judged Sodom. He's saying this, do not think that because God blessed you here, He's not going to judge you here. He did it to His own people. He pulled them out of Egypt. But then He judged them. He, he, uh, he showed His wrath on them. He destroyed them. And here it is, that believed not. Oh, Moses, you're just saying that. Oh, God doesn't, really, God, God doesn't really mean that. And then the earth opened up beneath them, and they found out God did mean that. The angels, the angels, beloved, when they chose to believe Lucifer, they're judged. They're under the wrath of God. What Jude is saying, and he's reminding them, is that God is just, but He will also judge. Judgment is real. Judgment is real. And in verses 8-13, through 13, he begins to talk and describe about how some of them live. He talks about uh, how the devil wanted to dispute with, with a Michael the archangel. And Michael the archangel wouldn't get down into the mire. And, and uh, he wouldn't lower himself to be like the devil. He just said, as it says in verse 9, The Lord rebuke thee. The Lord can handle you. The Lord can take care of you. And Jude contrasts that with these in present days. But these speak evil of those things which they know not. If that doesn't describe much of today, 
They speak evil of things which they know. Now, they have no idea. They have no clue. But yet they're just full of venom and hatred. They have no idea what they're talking about. And I don't say that to be unkind. I'm just saying that's the reality. But this is the environment in which this, these saints and this church that, that, uh, that was living, and this church, Long Island Baptist, is living. He says in verse 11, Woe unto them, for they've gone the way of Cain and ran greedily after the heir of Balaam for reward and perished in the gainsaying of Korah. They, all, they knew who all these men were. They knew what that was about. What was Cain? Well, Cain, Cain didn't worship a false god. Who did Cain desire to worship? God. The same God Abel desired to worship. But Cain believed he could worship his own way and it would be acceptable. And Cain found out you cannot worship the right God the wrong way. God isn't going to accept what we give just because we find it acceptable. He gave standards on what he accepts. Cain believed not. The same with Korah. Same with Balaam. In verse 12, these are spots in your feasts of charity when they feast with you. Feeding themselves without fear. There is no fear of God before their eyes. Clouds they are without water, carried about of winds, trees whose fruit withereth, without fruit, twice dead, plucked up by the roots, raging waves of the sea, foaming out their own shame, wandering stars, to whom is reserved the blackness of darkness forever. You get the idea. He's kind of losing illustrations to try to describe how unstable and how untrustworthy people in our environment are apart from Christ. Verse 14, no surprise, this has been prophesied. That we knew this would happen. Verse 16, he describes them again. These are murmurers, complainers, walking after their own lusts, and their mouths speak of great swelling words, having men's persons in admiration because of advantage. I, I, uh, the, 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 the relationships here on earth are so important because it might mean something for me. Consumed with the present. Verse 17, But beloved, remember ye the words which were spoken before of the apostles of our Lord Jesus Christ, how that they told you there should be mockers in the last time, who should walk after their own ungodly lusts, What is leading them? What is driving them? What are they following after? Their own ungodly lusts. Their own. It's it's, it's in them. It's self-serving. It's self-service. Verse 19, he said, These be they who separate themselves sensual, having not the Spirit. Now, often that word sensual is used to speak of, of physical immorality, or sex, or illicit sex, or wrong, all, all that. But that it doesn't just mean that. It means fleshly, sensual, meaning of the senses. What it looks like, what it, what, it, what, it, what it might taste like, what it might feel like, emotion, physical, flesh. In other words, they're driven by things, every other thing except the truth. I want you to understand, we are living in a world like that right now. We are living in a world that is driven by how we feel about everything. But beloved, you are called to be a pillar and ground of the truth. And if there was ever a day where we need a place where we can walk through the doors and know that I know that there's a lot of instability out there in the world, and I know there's a lot of chaos out there in the world, but I need to know that there is a place I can go and it is stable like a rock and it is truth what I hear, not opinion. And that is the Lord's churches. That's here. It's what we're celebrating 32 years of. That's why there is such a a, a contrast. This next word in verse 20 is a giant hinge on which everything in this epistle turns. They are sensual. They walk after ungodly lusts. They are murmurers. They are complainers. They speak with great swelling words. They care about what people think. But ye, beloved. In other words, you're not like that. This is the same thing the Apostle Paul would tell the church of Philippi in Philippians chapter 2, verses 14 to 16. He says that you are in the midst of a crooked and perverse nation. 
among whom ye shine. Amen? He didn't. No one said that the environment had to be perfect in order for churches to succeed. No one said it was going to be easy or had to be easy. All they live godly are going to suffer persecution. So the landscape isn't promised to be smooth. But Paul said, here's the blessing. The darker the night, the brighter the light. And you're in, that, in the middle of a crooked and perverse nation. But there you shine. How did they shine? By holding forth the word of life. Every context you look, it all goes back to Scripture whether it be Peter in 2 Peter chapter 3, Jude in his epistle, or Paul to the church at Philippi, or preaching to, or excuse me, teaching to Timothy and Titus how they should preach, everything we have goes back to Scripture. goes back to the Word of God. It does here, and that's why this is important, because of the very first thing he says. And just so you know, that was all introduction. Amen? Now we get into the message. Because now he's reminding them of the environment in which they live. But it is not an excuse to ease up, to put it in neutral, to go with the flow. No. But ye. It's almost like Paul saying in his epistles, you don't walk like Gentiles walk. That's how the world lives. That's not how you live. That's how they act. Put ye on, therefore, as the elect of God. Live up to what God says you are. Bowels of mercy, holiness, you get the idea. Jude does the same thing here. But ye, beloved, build up yourselves on your most holy faith, praying in the Holy Ghost, and keep yourselves in love of God, looking for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ unto eternal life. I don't have an outline tonight. We just have the verses. Amen? So we're going to go through it, these verse by verse, at the end of the book here. Number one, Long Island Baptist. Celebrate 32 years, praise the Lord. But you've got to keep going. And so how do you keep going? Well, first, you have to build up yourselves on your history. No, you can't live on stories of the past, amen? I mean, praise God for the stories of the past. Praise God for the lives changed, families reconciled, churches planted, uh, preachers trained. Praise the Lord for that. But you can't let up. You've got to keep going. Well, how do you build yourself up and what do you build on? Well, you build on your most holy faith. Not faith, your holy faith. Not your holy faith, your most holy faith. The most separated faith as you have received Christ Jesus the Lord. That's how you were saved. So walk ye in Him. And if you were saved by turning to God in repentant faith, that's how you live the rest of your Christian life is a continually following God, believing and trusting Him. That God is a rewarder of those that diligently seek Him, not just because of salvation, but because of the Christian life as well. He's still a rewarder of those that diligently seek Him. So how do we build ourselves up on our most holy faith? Well, we have a good idea in the book of Psalms. If you turn with me back to the book of Psalms and go with me to Psalm 1, the first psalm. Some of you may have this memorized. Again, this, is only, this only matters if you believe the Bible is authoritative. If it's, uh, if it's just a religious book, this may not mean as much to you, but those of us that believe the Bible is, is literally from God, this is what God says. Psalm 1.1 Blessed is the man that walketh not in the counsel of the ungodly, nor standeth in the way of sinners, nor sitteth in the seat of the scornful, But his delight is in the law of the Lord, and in his law doth he meditate day and night. Before we move on, understand this. This is a New Testament principle found in the Old Testament. How is that possible? Well, because it's a a principle that God gives us all. You have to put off before you can put on. If I have a a coat I want to put on, I'm already wearing one, it's not going to fit very well unless I take the coat off first. And then put the second one on. Deep stuff tonight. But it's the same thing spiritually. There there is no putting on holiness unless you're first putting off the sin. Confession of sin is a very important part of the believer's life. 
I wrote something recently for our church. And this, what I'm going to say, it doesn't, I don't mean to sound controversial. I don't even mean to, to be controversial, but I believe it. People who cannot admit they're wrong, people who cannot apologize or, or refuse to admit they're wrong, I have a hard time believing that they're even a child of God. The whole way we were saved to begin with was by admitting we were wrong. Was by admitting God is right and I'm wrong. And do you know that you can't obey what God tells a believer if you don't apologize to people? You are to confess your faults one to another. You are to ask forgiveness that God, who is the just God, as 1 John says may not only forgive you, but cleanse you from all unrighteousness. But if you don't believe you have any, well, there's maybe more pride there than Holy Spirit. And so, there is a putting off. There is this understanding that evil communications do in fact corrupt good manners. And that influence is a real thing. And that I am going into the world, but here's what's going to happen. Only two things. Either A, I'm influenced, or B, I'm the influencer. There's a big difference between those last two letters. We are not called to be influenced by the world, but read John 17. We're not called to be apart from the world either. We're supposed to be out there in the world, but not being influenced by the ungodly, by the unstable, by those that don't think right. No, we're the ones who are supposed to be doing the influencing. That's what salt and light does. So blessed is that man who walketh not in the counsel of the ungodly, nor standeth in the way of sinners, nor sitteth in the seat of the scornful. So if you're sitting with the scornful, I say this with love in my heart, get up already and walk out. Amen? It's not good for you. It it, it may not be easy to do, but it is the best thing that you can do. Get up and walk out. Don't stand in the way of sinners and don't listen to the counsel of the ungodly. But rather, his delight is in the law of the Lord. And in his law doth he meditate day and night. And what happens to a man or woman like that? He shall be like a tree planted by the rivers of water that bringeth forth his fruit in his season. His leaf also shall not wither, and whatsoever he doeth shall prosper. The ungodly, that's the same word Jude would use, are not so, but are like the chaff which the wind driveth away. Therefore the ungodly shall not stand in the judgment, nor sinners in the congregation of the righteous. For the Lord knoweth the way of the righteous, but the way of the ungodly shall perish. You want something that's going to build and be built and that will last? you make sure the foundation is strong. And there is no more sure foundation than this book right here. None. Build up yourselves on your most holy faith. Do not live on Sunday school, Sunday morning, afternoon service, and Wednesday alone. You need to be in your Bible. This church as its corporate strength, uh, excuse me, this church as its individual uh, membership strength grows, so does its corporate strength grows in its presence. But not only building up your most holy faith, that's the Word of God, fellowship is important. Beloved, we need each other. The Bible says in the book of Acts that they continued steadfastly, not only in the apostles' doctrine, but also in fellowship. And also in prayers. And sure enough, that's exactly what Jude says next. Praying in the Holy Ghost. Now we can pray in the flesh. Amen. There's a lot of things we can ask for that aren't necessarily driven by the Spirit. But that's not, that's, that's not going to do us any good. It's not just praying. It's praying in the Holy Ghost. As we said a few nights ago, I forget exactly when, as many as are led by the Spirit of God, they are the sons of God. When are you led by the Spirit of God? You ever ask yourself that? When in my life am I led by the Spirit? On Sunday morning, as I pray to get ready for the preaching? No, beloved, it's got to be on Tuesday afternoon, too. It's got to be on Thursday at 3 o'clock or or a Friday at 10 o'clock in the morning. We're to pray without ceasing. We are to be always in a position where we can pray that if someone calls on us to pray for them, that we are able to pray right away. Being led by the Holy Spirit. Praying in the Holy Ghost. Prayer is simply this. 
It is your declaration that you need God. Why don't people pray? Perhaps they really don't think they need the Lord. I remember when I was a a young boy, we would have men come forward. This is at our church I grew up in back in Ohio. And we'd have men that would, boy, when when they got called on to pray for the offering, you just settled in, amen? Because it was going to be everything. The missionaries, the the meal afterwards, and all this. And I asked my dad one time, Dad, why do some guys pray so long and other guys don't? And my dad, I don't think he was trying to be unkind, but he was uh, saying in, in a way that only my dad could. He said, well, son, sometimes those men that pray long, that's the only time they pray during the week, and they've got to get everything in then. Now, I just took it as an answer. The, more, the older I grew, I realized, you know, I don't think that was a compliment. I think he was saying something, but there may be a truth to that. But I pray that that's not the case with anybody here. No, beloved, if we're going to survive, and not just survive, but thrive in an environment that Jude described in the first 19 verses, we need the Lord. We need the Lord. And our prayer life is so important. Our devotional life is so important. Doctrine is good. You should know the Bible. But devotion matters too. And you should know the Lord. It's good to know the Bible. But you have to know the Lord The more you know about God, the easier it is to determine what He would want for your life. When we first got married, we we got married in October, that first Valentine's Day. We had been married for, what would it be, five months, I guess, right? I went down, we lived in Sayville, and I bought Jen chocolates, and I found this really expensive, expensive chocolate ice cream because I'm a nice guy and because I'm such a romantic. Who buys ice cream? I don't know. I'm not saying I was smart. I'm just saying. But you know what I found out? Jen doesn't like chocolate. <laughs> yeah. But here's it. I like chocolate. So I just assumed, like, like Cain, well, if I like it, she's going to like it too. I found out that's not necessarily the case. But you know, the, the more I, I've gotten to know Jen in 19 years of marriage next month, amen? A lot of you were there. Remember that? 19 years and 40 pounds ago. Amen. That's what uh, we, we, we were married 19 years. I know now what, what the things that Jen likes, the, thing that, the things that Jen prefers. Now, that may seem, again, like a simple illustration about human relationship, but the same thing applies with the Lord. The more you read your Bible and you begin to see how God interacts with man and how God thinks about things, the, the more you realize, you know what, something comes into your life, you're going to know right away whether God wants you to do that or not. You know the character of God. You know, I don't think God would want that for me in my life. I don't think the Lord wants me to go that direction. People that don't know the Lord, they don't know, they don't, they're not in their Bible, they're not praying, they're not led by the Spirit. Of course, that's not the case. And oftentimes they're just lost. But the saved, Jude's saying, you've got to build up yourselves, you've got to pray in the Holy Ghost. Then in verse 21, he says this, Keep yourselves in the love of God. Now in the Bible, you'll find this as you read the Scriptures, that there are seeming contradictions I use the word seeming because there are really no contradictions in Scripture. But on the face, they can seem like they are. For instance, answer not a fool according to his folly. And the very next verse says, answer a fool according to his folly. The Bible says that no man seeketh after God. But then in Hebrews 11, it says that God is a rewarder of them that diligently seek Him. How is that? The Bible says that let every man bear his own burden. But in the same chapter in Galatians, it says this, that we're to bear one another's burdens. And in Romans chapter 8, it says, nothing will separate you from the love of God. And here in Jude, he says, keep yourselves in the love of God. Well, as I said before, they're not, they're not, just, they're not contradictions. They're just subjects that need studied out. And when you study them out, you learn context and all things. You learn what Paul says of the church at Corinth, that the deep things of God are given to us freely. Isn't that a blessing? The Holy Ghost teaches us. We don't need man's teaching. That's what 1 Corinthians 2 is all about. We don't follow man's teaching, but the Holy Ghost teacheth. How? Comparing spiritual things with spiritual. And you find out Romans chapter 8 is talking about there is no condemnation. If we're in Christ, we are in Christ. Praise God for that. We we will never be out. Once you're saved, you're always saved. we, We believe in eternal security. Amen. We still believe in eternal security. Amen. Is that, okay. I only heard one amen. I just wanted to make sure. Is that a, all right. 
We, we believe that. It's not, it's not the security. Again, it's in Christ, not, not on me. But He calls me to obey Him, and there's the key. This idea in Jude, keep yourselves in love of God, is not saying keep yourselves saved, but He is saying this, keep yourselves in the blessings of being loved by God. Because here's a very real uh, truth that you need to get into your life. God is under no obligation to bless a disobedient people. None. Matter of fact, let's look at what the Bible says. Go back with me to Deuteronomy. Deuteronomy chapter 7. Real quick here. Deuteronomy chapter 7. This is a really interesting chapter. Talking about the love of God here in the book of the second law. Deuteronomy. Look at verse 6. For thou art an holy people unto the Lord thy God. The Lord thy God hath chosen thee to be a special people unto himself above all people that are upon the face of the earth. Well, there it is. There's God's people. We talked about that earlier. God's choice servants. Look at verse 7. The Lord did not set his what? Love upon you, nor choose you, because you were more in number than any people, for you were the fewest of all people. But because the Lord loved you, and because He would keep the oath which He had sworn unto your fathers, hath the Lord brought you out with a mighty hand and redeemed you out of the house of bondmen from the land of Pharaoh, king of Egypt. Praise the Lord for that. Amen? Know therefore that the Lord thy God, He is God, the faithful God. Here it is, which keepeth covenant and mercy with them that love Him and keep His commandments to a thousand generations. Beloved, obedience goes right along with blessing. Find someone that says, I love God and God loves me, and they don't obey the Scriptures, they don't love God, and they have not experienced the love from God in salvation. Jesus makes it very clear. If you love me, you will keep my commandments. We love Him because He first loved us. You cannot get away from the love of God, studying the love of God, and and not keep running into the importance of obeying God's Word. Abraham was justified by faith. What did he believe? He believed God's Word. This is, this is obedience. So this is, a, this, is a very, this is a very wonderful truth because on the face, Brother John, it may seem difficult. How, do, how can I be sure that I'm keeping myself under the blessing of God? I'm keeping myself in the love of God. Well, brother, it's easy. Just obey Him. Obey Him, and you'll be in the love of God. Pastor Graf's pastor, Gordon Silcox, had this saying, he said all the time, stay under the spout where the glory comes out. What he was saying is, in, in, a, in a cliche sort of way, is stay close to the Lord. Don't, don't, uh, don't allow the world to distract you. Don't allow the news to discourage you. Keep your eyes up which is exactly what we lead into at the end of the verse. Keep yourselves in the love of God, looking for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ unto eternal life. If Long Island Baptist is going to continue to be obedient and be under the blessing of the Lord, then it will have to understand on an individual and corporate level that this world is not our home. We are just passing through. Recently at our church, we had somebody that had... uh, given an idea about how we could uh, grow our church, increase attendance. They meant well. They're not part of our church, which is somewhat interesting, but anyway. Um, but, uh, but the reality is this, is that, yeah, our, we know that our message isn't that popular. We know that. We understand that. But the Lord's saving people. Praise the Lord for that. Church seems to be doing well. But what happens, what happens if people leave? Seriously, I'm, I'm not being funny. Ask yourself, what would it mean if people left the church? I mean, we'd be sad, right? But it wouldn't change the truth. It wouldn't change anything that God has given us one bit. It wouldn't change it. That's where we have to be uh, convictional in. That we are not looking for the approval of the world around us. We are looking for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ unto eternal life. We're not looking to get attaboys from people that are our peers. We are looking to hear, well done, good and faithful servant. 
from our Lord, Je- our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. That's what we're looking for. That's not a temporal hope. That's an eternal hope. Amen? And that, not easy, as I said. Not everyone's going to like us. But that's okay. We know if we're obeying the Bible, we know that we're going to be approved by God, and that is all that matters. And so he says, this is what you do. You have to remember this. You have to do this for yourself. Build yourself up. Edify. Build up yourself. By the way, note to parents. This is important for parents. That's exactly what we have to do with our children. We bring them up in the nurture and admonition. We train them up in the way they should go. Same thing with our Christian life. There should be a, there should be a, a growth going up. Amen. Fruit grows. Buildings grow. Trees grow. They, 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 they go up. And so do believers. And there are no exceptions to that. Read 1 John. We, do, we, just, they, we just do not continue in sin. Why? Because His seed remains in us. There's going to be a growing of the Holy Spirit's work in our lives. Up. More holy. More like Christ. So, build yourselves up. Keep praying. Keep yourselves in love of God. Keep obeying. And look for the Lord Jesus. He's coming back. And praise the Lord for that. I, I, I'm... I, can't wait, and I, I believe it, it's soon, and I, I'm, I'm hoping it is. As I said, I echo the prayer of John, even so come Lord Jesus. But until then, we still have work to do here. And that's what he says next. You, you, you've, you've focused on the work God's doing in you and here in this church, but there's more work than just ourselves. There's an outward work as well. And he says in verse 22, of some have compassion. Of some have compassion. This is an important distinction that we have to make, beloved. This phrase, making a difference, doesn't mean, hey, let's go out and make a difference in our community. It simply means what it says. You have to learn how to make a difference between those that need saved by fear and those that need compassion. Basically, what he's saying, led by the Holy Spirit, is you need to be a discerning church because this isn't a cookie-cutter thing we're dealing with. There are some people that have genuine hurts. They have real trials. And they need an arm around the shoulder. And they need lead in the right direction. They need a compassionate conversation to to tell them. By the way, Jesus did this. Think with me about the lepers. And how, how shunned they were from society. Their own colony. You stay over there. And if you ever come around here, you make sure you cry out because none of us want to go near you. Why? Because if I were to touch a leper, I would be defiled and I don't want that filth on me. I want to stay away. But read in your New Testament and in the Gospels how Jesus healed the leper. It says He touched them. Amen. He could have talked to them from a hundred feet away. But he touched them. When was the last time you think a leper got touched in a, in a loving way, Miguel? Just other lepers. That's other. But here comes this man. Here comes this man named Jesus. And he's not backing away. He's not shirking away. He's not afraid. You know why? Because the Lord knew what was in him was more powerful than what was in the leper. He wasn't worried about getting defiled by the leper. He was going to change that leper's life. That leper wasn't going to change his. And so he touched him. That's compassion. The woman caught in adultery. Hey, where are your, where are your accusers? There are none. Well, neither do I condemn thee. Go and sin no more. Compassion. But at the same time, the same man, Jesus, who touched a leper, who healed a beggar, who cleansed or, and cleansed the leper and healed the blind man and, and forgave an adulterous woman. The same Jesus pointed his finger at religious hypocrites and said, you are a bunch of snakes and hypocrites. You look great on the outside, but you're full of dead men's bones. Same man. Why? Because the living word is the same as the written word and he can discern the thoughts and intents of the heart. Jesus knew exactly what he was doing. He knew that there were some that had to have compassion, but he knew how to make the difference between others that needed, if I could say it this way, a smack on the snout, as Pastor Graff would say. That's the truth. Why is that? Well, because not everybody that leaves is a Demas. Sometimes they're a John Mark. People make stupid decisions, beloved. 
You want to write that down? People make stupid decisions. It happens. I, I thank God for the people in my life who never gave up on me. Who, who affirmed by their relationship. I knew when, when the Lord allowed me to come to myself like the prodigal son, I knew where to go. I knew where I could go. John Mark made a dumb decision. Paul said, I'm done with him. Barnabas said, I'm going to take him with me. And say, well, who was right? It's an unnecessary conversation. Amen? John Mark ended up being profitable for Mark's ministry, and the Lord used him to write the Gospel of Mark. I'd say he, th- he turned things around. Amen? So be careful not to treat a John Mark like a Demas. Some have compassion. But just because there are John Marks doesn't mean they're all John Marks. Sometimes they are a Demas. And others save with fear. This word save is very interesting. It's the same word that you were saved with your sin. It means rescue them. It means that they're in danger and they don't even realize the danger they're in. They don't have time for a smooth talk. They don't have time for an arm around the shoulder or let's meet for coffee. They need confronted right now. You are, you, you've got to be careful. You've got to stop what you're doing. You've got to turn from that direction. If you're not careful, you're going to be lost and lost forever if you continually reject the Lord. This idea here is taken from Amos chapter 4. Matter of fact, I don't want to misquote it. Let's go back and, let's go back and look at this, this book. This is such a, uh, a powerful, uh, a, uh, so this is such a powerful truth. Amos chapter 4. And if you don't know where it is, that's fine. Just let me read it for you here in a minute. Amos chapter 4. I want you to listen to the, how this is described. Amos chapter 4, verse 6. And I also have given you cleanness of teeth in all your cities, and want of bread in all your places. Yet have you not returned unto me, saith the Lord. He's talking about judgment. I've, I've judged you. I, I've, I've, I've changed your circumstance. Didn't work. You haven't returned to me. And also, I have withholden the rain from you when there were yet three months to the harvest. And I caused it to rain upon one city and caused it not to rain upon another city. One place was rained upon and the peace whereupon it rained not withered. So two or three cities wandered unto one city to drink water, but they were not satisfied Yet have you not returned unto me, saith the Lord. He took away their, 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 their means. He took away their wealth. It still didn't humble them. Yet they did not return to the Lord. Verse 9, I have smitten you with blasting and mildew. When your gardens and your vineyards and your fig trees and your olive trees increase, the palmer worm devour them. Yet have ye not returned unto me, saith the Lord. Time and time again, God... In, engages their lives. He interacts in their lives. He, he intervenes in their life. And again, and again, they, turn, they do not return unto the Lord. I have sent among you the pestilence after the manner of Egypt. Your young men have I slain with a sword and have taken away your horses and I have made the stink of your camps to come up under your nostrils. Yet have ye not returned unto me, saith the Lord. I have overthrown some of you as God overthrew Sodom and Gomorrah. Now look at this. And ye were as a firebrand plucked out of the burning. Yet have ye not returned unto me, saith the Lord. Therefore, thus will I do unto thee, O Israel, and because I will do this unto thee, prepare to meet thy God, O Israel. Not O Philistines. These were people that knew better. These were people who knew how God had worked in the past, and here He is working in their life time and time again. And here it is, He says this, It was as if I plucked you right out of the fire, and you still did not return unto Me. But now, time's up. Prepare to meet thy God. Well, prepare with what? That's why you ought to be thankful you're in the new covenant and not the old one. Amen. Because the preparation has been made through Christ and it's time to cast yourself on Christ. Because you can't do anything to prepare to meet God yourself. But when Jude says this, others save with fear, pulling them out of the fire. It means that you can see people in their life 
and you know what the Bible says, and you know what God's truth is, and you know what they're saying, and it's almost as if they're being singed by the flames from hell itself. That's how close they are. Here's what Jude says. You go after them. But in that situation, there isn't time for chit-chat. You've got to be as direct as you possibly can and say, what is it? You are lost. Do you not understand your condition before God? Now listen, that's your responsibility, Long Island Baptist. You've got, you've got to be discerning. You've got to know how to make a difference. Those that have compassion, others need saved with fear. We're going to go to one more text and then we're going to put the gas pedal down on this message. But I want you to see this in, in Scripture. Take your Bible, turn to 2 Corinthians chapter 10. I want to show you how to save others with fear, pulling them out of the fire. 2 Corinthians chapter 10. 2 Corinthians chapter 10, look with me please at verse number 3. For though we walk in the flesh, we do not what? War after the flesh. For the weapons of our warfare. What in the world? I thought we were to be peacemakers. Yes, we are ambassadors of Christ. We are ministers of reconciliation. And we ought to live like that. Amen? But sometimes a minister of reconciliation and sometimes an ambassador of Christ has to go into battle. But this is not merely an internal battle. Oftentimes it's, it's translated that way. But if you look at the context... Paul says at the end of, verse, of the chapter, verses 14 and 15, this is what we do for you. This is how I live for you. Uh, there, there, is, there is eternity at stake. We preach the gospel not only to you, but to regions beyond you. And so understand this, the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but mighty through God to the pulling down of strongholds. That word, save with fear, I want you to understand that that's how you're attacking the situation you are going into their life and you are, you are pulling down strongholds. You are trying to get them to wake up. Notice what it says in verse 5. Casting down imaginations and every high thing that exalteth itself against the knowledge of God. And bring it into captivity, every thought, to the obedience of Christ. Do you know how you attack? This is exactly what this verse means. It means that there are people in your life that are lost. They are, they, are on the, they are on the wrong path. They are going the wrong direction. And they think they're fine. They think they're okay. They're, it's imagination. It is ideas that go contrary to the knowledge of God. What is the knowledge of God? It's this book right here. You want to know how you save people with fear? You go into their life and in your conversations, you cast down what they say. You cast down their responses. Well, what I think, what I believe, or I feel. And you keep going back to the Bible. Back to the Bible. It is written. It is written. But here's what God says. Here's what God says. And God doesn't say it's all going to be okay. It's all going to work out. All roads lead to heaven. God said there's only one way to heaven. And there's only one way to obtain it. And it's repenting toward God from your sin, turning to Christ. And if you don't do that, you have no right to think that you're going to receive the love of God. Just because you want to go to heaven doesn't mean you're going to go to heaven. And it may seem harsh, and it may seem unkind, but sometimes it's needed because you're saving them as if from the fire itself. It's, it's, in other words, it's real, beloved. Jude isn't speaking in hyperbole here. He's not some lunatic with wild hair writing down a letter. No, he's led by the Holy Spirit. That means that there are people in our lives that need us to make a difference, make a distinction. Some have compassion, others save with fear, getting into their life with the Word of God and saying, please, I beseech you therefore, by the mercies of God, I pray you in Christ's stead, be reconciled to God. That's our job. That's what Jude says. That's our job. Pulling them out of the fire. Hating even the garments spotted by the flesh. What does this mean? This simply means this, that when you go into battle, it's going to get messy. Amen? And if you're not careful, and I wish I could say I've, I've, I can tell you this from a, from a clear conscience. Unfortunately, I've, I've, I've learned this lesson the hard way. You can't win people by compromise. You can't win people by, by saying, well, I'll accept this and I'll accept that and maybe I'll give a little and they'll give a little. It doesn't work that way. You'll get trampled. You'll get, you'll get driven right over. 
you must stay true to the book. And when you go into that, and it's going to be an arena, and it's going to be hard, and it's going to be difficult, but you have to have the mindset of hating even the garments spotted by the flesh. You have to be like Daniel, who purposed in his heart that he would not defile himself with a portion of the king's meat. In other words, I'm going to go into this to influence them. I'm not going to let them influence me. That's the attitude here. Hating even the garment spotted by the flesh. Turn to page or two to the right. Revelation chapter 3. Under the angel, verse 1. Under the angel of the church in Sardis write. These things saith he that hath the seven spirits of God and the seven stars. I know thy works that thou hast a name that thou livest and art dead. Be watchful and strengthen the things which remain that are ready to die. For I have not found thy works perfect before God. That means complete. Now, I want you to notice this. Remember, therefore, how thou hast received and heard, and hold fast and repent. If therefore thou shalt not watch, I will come on thee as a thief, and thou shalt not know what I I will come unto thee. And praise the Lord for verse 4. Look what it says here. Thou hast a few names, even in Sardis, which have not defiled their garments. And they shall walk with me in white, for they are worthy. Yeah, I I know that there are not... I know that there is no perfect church. Even the Lord knows that. But you know what he said, Brother Marcus? Man, I want to be found in verse 4. Amen. He said this church has problems. And it's easy for people to pick apart churches. It's easy for people to find the faults and say, well, this shouldn't be, this shouldn't be. Here, we know what the Lord said? He said this, there are problems in Sardis, but there are a few people. There are a few names. Names, beloved. Jesus knows who we are. There are a few names which have not defiled their garments. Praise the Lord. There's a few. And they're going to wear robes of white and they're going to walk with me for they are worthy. Say, what kind of people are these? People who understand that all of our worthiness is in Christ and Christ alone. Our righteousness is as filthy rags, but His is pure and clean. And if I am in the world and I get something on me, I'm going to make a short account with God. I'm going to confess my sin quickly. I don't want anything between me and God. I want my garment spotless. If He were to come back tonight, I want to be found clean and pure and right. That's what Jude's saying. That caliber of Christian, that caliber of church, that's willing to engage the filthy world, but knows full well we want no part of it on us. That knows full well the reality, hell is real, God is real, heaven is real. Praise the Lord for that. And there are some that need a compassionate help. Beloved, I am broken hearted over how many times I have heard in the past year the abuses that some people have, have had in church. People that have, that have been hurt in church. I'm not suggesting that, that there aren't hurting people out there. There are. But there are also people that know better. And we have to know the difference. There is, there is no cookie cutter. We've got to be discerning. We have to be discerning. Excuse me. We have to be discerning. Pulling them out of the fire, hating even the garment spotted of the flesh. So he says in verse 20 and 21, there's an inward work. Verses 22 and 23, there's an outward work. There's evangelism. There, there's, there's salvation. But ultimately, ultimately, the most important thing is the upward work. He's just finished writing a letter talking about how bad the world is, how sinful these false teachers are, ungodly men, wicked people. The importance of a church and saints working on their own sanctification, their own strength in their spiritual life. He's talked about the importance of engaging a lost world, understanding that they don't understand how bad it is, but you do, so make sure you go out there and engage it. But whatever it is, however bad it gets out there, nothing deters us from the ultimate thing, and that is to worship and praise our God and our Savior. After all that, he uses the word now. It's almost as if he is saying, now then, in light of all that, in light of all that you're called to do, and if I could say and just speak directly to Long Island Baptist Church, 32 years this church has been on Long Island. It started in 
uh, Port Jeff, then came down to Sayville. Uh, First Baptist Church of Sayville, some of you were there in that building. Had the building there, saw people saved, saw people grow, saw Nathaniel come, amen? Get saved, trained for the ministry, sent to Bangladesh. Church begins to grow. We start meeting in, a, in, a, in a, a, another church building in Sayville while this building is being built. First Baptist Church of Sayville becomes Long Island Baptist Church. The name changed, but the doctrine didn't. The mission didn't. It began to grow again and grow more and more people saved. Yes, there have been heartaches and there have been difficulties and there have been trials like every other church down through the past 2,000 years. No, no, no question there. But there have been great victories. And here's the thing, you're still here. You're still faithful. This is not always the case, beloved. I speak from personal experience. I have, I have, a, I have a friend, a personal friend. A, a man that I, I, would, I, I call a friend fall by the wayside. Done. I know churches that started and they're not existent anymore. Churches that started, fell off, veered off, brought in pastors, whatever it is, you name it, it's there. You you don't have to look very hard for that. Beloved, what God's done here is is a wonderful thing. And you ought to praise God for it. So what do we do now? What do we do now that we look back and celebrate 32 years? What do we do now? Well, now we ought to praise God. Now we ought to work inwardly and work outwardly and work upwardly. Now unto Him that is able to keep you from falling and to present you faultless before the presence of His glory with exceeding joy. You say, well, this sounds familiar. This sounds like what Jude just told us to do before in verse 20. Building up ourselves, praying, keeping ourselves in love of God. In other words, don't fall. Present you faultless before the presence of His glory. In other words, not having any spots on your garments. What he's saying is, here's what you are required to do, but don't forget, you can't do it without Christ. Without Christ, you can do nothing. So here's what you're to do, Long Island Baptist. But now let's just praise the Lord who's able to make you do it. I love this. Now unto Him that is able to keep you from falling and to present you faultless before the presence of His glory with exceeding joy. This is of Him. Romans 11.36 For of Him and through Him and to Him are all things to whom be glory forever. Amen. What we are called to do is of the Lord Jesus Christ. And any good thing that comes out of that, He gets the praise for. That's what verse 25 is. To the only wise. In other words, it's of God, but it's also for God. It is by His grace, it is for His glory. Unto Him that is able to keep us from falling... To the only wise God, our Savior. Great verse to show a Jehovah's Witness. Or anyone else that doesn't believe in the deity of Christ. To the only wise God, our Savior. What does God deserve? What should God get? Glory and majesty. Glory means the... It's a way of saying He's worth His weight. Every attribute of God deserves something. And God is everything. And He deserves all glory, all praise, and majesty. Majesty means greatness, majestic. Beloved, our Lord is. He he deserves worthy worship and greatness and dominion. That means there is nowhere you can go where He doesn't rule and reign. Amen? The election is on everybody's mind. Doesn't change one bit about the dominion of God. Not one. God is not wringing his, wringing his hands. He's not sweating, wondering what's going to happen. It doesn't matter who's elected in November. God is as powerful and as much in charge as He was if it was the other guy getting elected. It's His dominion and power. Worthy worship and greatness and strength and authority. And here's what it says. This is for you now, as we draw this to a close. To the only wise God, our Savior, be glory and majesty, dominion and power 
for eternity. Is that what it says? Close. Not just for eternity. Both now and ever. In, me, in other words, we don't have to wait, Brother John, to give God glory and majesty and dominion and power. We can do that now. The Bible says in the book of the Revelation, He's worthy. He's worthy of all riches and glory and honor. Now, beloved. And if He's worthy of all riches and glory and honor, He's worthy of your life. So if you're lost, you need to come to Him today. He created you on purpose and for a purpose. He's worthy of your life. A saved person, Long Island Baptist... Don't be distracted by the environment in which you're called to serve the Lord. Don't get distracted by the field in which you've been called to. Keep your eyes on the one who called you to the field. Give God His due. Give God His glory and His his, uh, strength and His might. Give God His majesty, dominion, and power. Don't wait till heaven. Do it now. Both now and ever. Amen. Father in heaven, thank you for this this book. So much said, Lord, in this uh, small epistle, but I believe that there's a lot of a lot of powerful truths. And while we didn't go into everything tonight, and I, I, I realize that was, we covered many different subjects, I pray, Father, the main burden of the message found its way through. That we are like many other of your churches that have come down through the the centuries. We find ourselves in the midst of a crooked and perverse nation. But Father, we must build ourselves up on our most holy faith. We must continue to pray dependent upon You. We must be obedient to You to keep ourselves in the, the blessings of, of the love that You want to bestow unto us. Father, we need to be evangelizing a lost world. We need to be compassionate to those that need it. And we need to be direct with those that need it. And Father, for all of it, I believe I speak on behalf of of, uh, most, if not all, people at Long Island Baptist. We will be quick to praise you for the work that you'll do. We ask these things in Jesus' precious name. Amen.